So we are in our Advent series. This is week two of Advent this year, and we're focusing on love this week. So the sermon is just called Jesus is Love, All right? I'm excited for the privilege to preach to us today. Um, and uh, if you look on the slide, we have our verses up there. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, and then John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. As we're making our way through this series, I've been noticing something that I haven't noticed before, uh, that with each of the elements of Advent, the people of God had a little bit of a, like a foretaste of the elements of Advent before Jesus brought them into the world with his first coming, right? So for example, peace is the one that really comes to my mind like quickly. We all know the story of when the angel appeared to the shepherds in the field and said, peace on earth on whom is favorite, like just that glorious shining, the peace of God is coming. And Jesus came and brought that peace to the world. But the people in the stories around the first coming of Jesus kind of already had a little bit of an understanding of that peace. They understood what God was doing. They understood what God was going towards. They were kind of already living in that peace a little bit. And the same with each of the elements of Advent. And that's what I noticed when I was preparing today about love. Right? Before Jesus' actual arrival, the grassroots of hope, joy, love, and peace, like Pastor Christina was saying last week, were there. They were there. That's the thing that animates us. That's the thing that brings us alive. The things that we do when we're alive. Right. As we look forward to the second coming of Christ and the ultimate fulfillment of that, uh, we wait. <laughs> we pray. We wait. Um, Today, our focus is on love, and that foretaste piece plays a big role for our message today. So the recurring theme of a series during the Advent season each year is look again, right? So I want to encourage us today to, to look again at a story you might feel like you know by heart, at elements of Jesus' story, at things that he's taught that a toddler could memorize. Look again. But before you look again with me, I want to talk about what is right in our face right now. And it's something that uh, I've noticed just kind of in my life. Maybe it's a symptom of social media or too much media in general or whatever. But it feels like a lot of people are angry right now. Like there's just so much anger and hatred and choosing selfishness, choosing self-righteousness, choosing my standard of justice out there in the world. And everyone's plastering their opinions everywhere, right? Whether that's wishing the death of your political enemies or cheering when they fall or any number of, you know, a hundred different judgments that we make day by day, there's a lot of anger in the world. We hold that intention with this. Uh, our first verse today is, it's not, on my, uh, not for my sermon, but it's a proverb I want to point out, right? Uh, I have a slide for it here. It's Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Right, the very next verse is the trust in the Lord and lean not on your own ways, right? But right before it, we have this, this proverb, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will find favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. So this, this principle, this proverb, that love kind of does good things. It kind of makes a good space. It opens a door for more love. We, the people of God, hold that intention while we wait for the second coming of Jesus, we look again at the first coming of Jesus, 
and we see so much anger and hatred and fighting and just nastiness out in the world. We have to hold these two in tension, right? The principle I want to point out is that love opens the door for more love. Okay. So join me as we look again at the story in the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. I think we'll see the picture that love created in Jesus' family before he was even born. That foretaste that Joseph and Mary really understood before Jesus was even born. For Matthew's purposes, Joseph played a huge role in the first coming of the Messiah. So let's read it together. Matthew chapter 1, I'll read verses 18 on through 25, and then we'll talk about it. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the son of David is very important, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you will give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Of course, there's a lot of other foregrounding going on in Luke compared to Matthew, but they're just doing different things, right? They have different points to get to, different things to point out. And so Mary is pregnant. We know from Luke that Mary uh, had a whole angel show up and it like changed her life. And she you know, said yes to God and wrote a whole song. It was a magnificent thing that happened in her life. But that doesn't even like seem like it happens in Matthew, this isn't really a contradiction. It's just different points that the writers are getting to, right? Amen. So Joseph is playing a much larger role in the birth of Jesus in this story. In Luke, uh, Joseph just plays the part of a willing and obedient parent. Uh, not much is carried on the shoulders of Joseph really at all. We'll start off with verse 18. Uh, Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, right? Engagement for their culture was just as binding as ours, if not more so. Uh, it would even be improper for Joseph and Mary to be seen alone, like at this stage in their relationship, because uh, it's not like official, but it's planned, right? Mary turns up pregnant under mysterious circumstances. Again, we know from Luke that a whole angel showed up to Mary. Uh, she accepted the message. But Mary appears very flat as a character in this beginning part of Matthew. But that encounter with God would have changed her, right? Amen. We also know from Luke that Mary was away with her cousin for three months. Uh, so at this point, the baby is still a long ways off. Uh, she's early on, earlier on in her pregnancy rather than later. But it makes sense to me that she would have maybe told Joseph all of these things, right? Um, based on how things go in the next verse, it seems like Joseph maybe doesn't believe her at this point. Uh, but, of course, we read the whole story. And we know the whole story. For Mary to be pregnant under mysterious circumstances like this, 
uh, would have constituted the grounds uh, for adultery and divorce. Honestly, uh, that's the, the message in verse 19. Though Joseph was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The law would say that you should call out someone who's cheating, you should end that relationship, and then justice has been served. Joseph, wanting, that, wanting to follow the law, was righteous enough to not want to put her through more than she had to go through, right? So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He wasn't going to make a big scene. Like, actually, in, in uh, John chapter 9, or maybe it's 8, but when, when Jesus shows up and the, the woman is thrown on the ground and he writes in the dirt and all that, like, that is the, the kind of anger and justice that the people of God actually had in I guess I don't know if we'd say they're the people of God because they don't follow Jesus, but they are. <laughs> they know the rules. They're the ones who are supposed to get it, and they're burning with anger, right? That's the anger I was kind of talking about. It's even, it's out there, it's online, and it's kind of in here a little too, right? But that was what's supposed to happen, kind of, something like what happened in, in the middle of John there. But Joseph was righteous. He wanted to do the loving thing. He chose all right, I'll go this way, right? Uh, Joseph likely could have gotten like his dowry back from Mary's family, uh, walked off into the sunset and found another family to marry into. Right? He was fully within his rights to choose to go do such, in, such a thing like that when your betrothed turns up pregnant under mysterious circumstances. And then we can look at verse 20, right? But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him. This translation really doesn't do it justice. Many other translations say, while this was on his mind, like while he was deciding what to do, while he was thinking about it, his whole dilemma was on his mind. Then the angel of the Lord shows up and says, hang on, here's another way you can go, right? The angel confirms Mary's story, telling Joseph not to fear. Right? The angel tells them all the good things that are about to happen in their lives. Uh, and the author ties this to a prophecy about the coming, coming Messiah. Joseph woke up and he obeyed the angel. Right? For Matthew's purposes, uh, if you look at the first part that we didn't read yet, or that we're not going to read, <laughs> it's 50 names. Right, So this is the, the grounding of the lineage of Jesus in the line of David. And Joseph is in the line of David. So that's what I was saying before about Joseph, son of David. The, the angel addresses him. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. This is what's going on. This is the promised Messiah. It sort of, it seems like if I woke up from that dream that Joseph had, I wonder about what I would do. I doubt I would have all of these things in front of me, right? Even if we're expecting the Messiah and we're waiting for him to come and he chose me? He chose my family to do this thing, right? Of course, Joseph is obedient, and he makes a, a very loving choice. That's what I really want to highlight this story, because Joseph stayed, Joseph loved. Mary stayed, Mary loved. They chose to face the challenges of judgment and all of the things, the cultural baggage together to make a family that was loving, to bring the Savior of the world into the world. So that's really what I'm, I'm like trying to highlight today. Um, but Joseph chose to stay. Uh, whether they tried to tell people that Mary was pregnant with a baby because of God or not, uh, Joseph and Mary both accepted all the backlash that would have come with it. 
right, to accept the other cultural baggage that came with their relationship starting out this way. They risk judgment from their community, but it's for following God, right? So I would like to think that if it were me, I might try to convince some people, like, hang on, no, this is what God has said, this is what God has done. Uh, it's, it's got, like, really strong, like, I'm very special energy, so, like, I would have to work through all of that, I think. But um, without trying to magnify myself, I would be like, hey, God said this, you know, like, and I doubt it would go very far, uh, but maybe, maybe there were some people who understood, right? It seems, seems like that, I believe that, you know? But whether they tried to convince people or not, they accepted the judgment that came with it. We often say that these suspicious circumstances are what leads them out in the stable for the birth of Jesus in the first place. I think uh, that no matter what happens, or no matter what they actually faced, they stayed, they were committed, they did the work to build a family of love to raise Jesus in a faithful home. I think Mary and Joseph got the point of that proverb that I pointed out near the beginning, right? That they committed themselves to love and faithfulness, to commit yourself to love and faithfulness, to hang it on your neck, to, to write it on the stone tablet of your heart, right? Usually it makes things go well for you. Not always a prom, you know, it's no proverbs are promises, but proverbs are, here's how things go, you know? Um, I think they got it. That was the foretaste I'm trying to point out, that I think, I think Mary and Joseph were already living in the world Jesus would bring, already living in the world that Jesus would invite them to. And we, no one really knows for sure, but like, it does, Joseph doesn't show up in the story anymore. It was very culturally common for husbands to be significantly older than their wives, and so the age difference is like, maybe he died, who knows? <laughs> But <laughs> not before creating a home where Jesus felt safe to get lost at the temple for a couple of days. You know, we have that little story later on in Luke where uh, Jesus just gets, like, they're on their track home and Jesus is just not with them. And he's like, you know, a young kid at that point and turns around. He's talking with the teachers of the law in the, in the temple to create a home where that's, like, okay, <laughs> Of course, Jesus is God, and I'm not trying to, I'm getting all twisted in the words, but the point is they did that hard work, right? They faced that judgment. They faced that judgment in the first place. And of course, uh, I hardly need to explain this, right? But Jesus taught very similar devotion, right? We could pick maybe 10 or 15 verses throughout the Gospels and the teachings of Jesus that could really highlight this well, but today I've chosen to uh, pick John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. So if you look there with me, we'll go there next. Now we can jump fast forward way ahead to the night of Jesus' arrest in the Gospel of John, right? Jesus came into the world, both amazing people and creating enemies on all sides. But the next place we pick up, we find ourselves witnessing the Last Supper and the final teachings of Jesus to his disciples, it's, like I said, John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. I'll read it now. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my, my disciples if you love one another. This is what I was saying. It's so easy a toddler can memorize it. 
but it's so impossible that none of us could possibly live up to this standard in this life. Not that Jesus wouldn't want them to try or it's not about their efforts, right? We ask the Holy Spirit for guidance. Here's my point. Jesus said, the way I've loved you, that's how you should love one another. And then he went and died for them. I like you guys. And I would have to, it'd be convinced, I, like, I don't know what I would say, you know? That's the joke. I'll say it first. It's, I, it's hard to imagine dying for anybody, but then dying for your loved ones, dying for your closest friends or your you know, family, like, you get what I'm saying, right? Jesus willingly died for people who spat on him. And he said, go ahead, you guys do that too. This is connected to the foot washing that he did earlier in the chapter, and it's connected to some of the teachings that he gives later on in John chapter 15. But the point is that Jesus' instructions for them as their default mode of being is to figure out how to love one another. Figure out how to do that hard work to stay committed to love and faithfulness, to put that around your neck and then go into a room with someone you wouldn't get along with outside of Jesus. Or to go into a room and get along with someone that you have had open conflict with recently that you didn't solve or whatever, right? This commitment to community, this commitment to love, this is Jesus' instruction for their default way of being. These are the marching orders that Jesus gives his followers in John. It isn't more complex than that, but it is very, very difficult. The way that Jesus had just loved his disciples, like I said, was to wash, his, wash their feet and then to in, go and die for them. And this is what he wants them to model. That second verse, verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This ties in his love with evangelism, really. The message that we preach is that I love you. The world outside looking in will say, what? Why would you love that person? They make no sense for you to be uh, someone. You know, that's the thing Jesus wants us to be preaching all the time, right? That's the thing that by this, everyone will know that you follow me. Here's my point. The instruction of Jesus to his disciples is the height of our motivation of loving one another today. If you wanted to imagine that foretaste of love, you know, pre-Jesus, and commit yourself to a proverb like, put love and faithfulness around your neck, how would that make you act, right? That, you may come to one conclusion. If you read the story, just the story of the birth of Jesus about how Joseph and Mary stayed committed, built a family, did the hard work and faced the judgment of all the people around them for the weird way their family started. If you just look at that story, you might come to a different conclusion. And then, here's my whole point. We all roads lead to this one. All road, when you look at the fullness that Jesus brought, the instruction, the default mode uh, that Jesus brought to his people, this is the love and faithfulness that we commit ourselves to every day. The way Joseph and Mary committed to God's will was love. That was the foretaste, right? They got the, pro the proverb and the tenor of all that God had set up before. They welcomed the great and perfect anointed one of God into the world. What sorts of things are you 
holding back from God because you're not committed to love and faithfulness in this life. Because for me, it happened, well, road rage is like a really small one, right? But uh, right here on Burton, I take this, uh, I'm just going to tell the whole story. Uh, where Burton crosses with uh, Buchanan after division, right? There's like that lane where you're supposed to turn right. And then there's always 15 cars. And someone like, ah, I'm going to go here. Like, <laughs> man, uh, nothing, nothing gets me hotter than that <laughs> when I'm driving, when I'm driving. Uh, so that's, you know, kind of a sillier example, right? But the point is that I can commit myself to love and faithfulness. I used to have a, a Christian bumper stickers so that I would drive good, you know, like that was how I keep track. So, and I had, I took them off because it was, it was performance-based and what, <laughs> but <laughs> I can commit myself to love and faithfulness and then still get mad when someone cuts me off, right? That's a thing. I can commit myself to, I can write a sermon about this and then I got in an argument yesterday with my family. It, like, it's, it's possible to not be perfect. That's what I just want to say. Don't, don't let perf- the lack of perfection hold you back from committing yourself to the way of God. Because everything we do, and if we were going to read uh, more of the, the Bible, we could read through this teaching here in John 14, where Jesus, or John 15, where Jesus says that nothing you can do, or you can do nothing apart from the will of God, right? Every, every good thing that you do, everything you find in the world to do is because the Holy Spirit has put that on your heart or God has created that beforehand as a good work for you to do or has pushed you in that direction. Nothing you can do that is good is without Jesus. So don't hear me say that you can just try and get 90% and go home and it's great. I just mean commit yourself to the way of the Lord. Ask for his guidance. Ask for his guidance. So as an act of loving kindness, that obedience of both Joseph and Mary through the extreme difficulty is one piece of that shaping of the story of our Messiah's entrance into the world. To be clear, this isn't trouble they went out looking for or created to have some sort of victimhood. Right? It is real circumstances that God called them to, and they answered. In a world that privileged Joseph to basically buy out of the relationship, if he wanted to, with a clean cut, walk off into the sunset, Joseph chose to stay. Amen. That is a good, that is a fantastic obedience to God that should model for us what it looks like to play that game of, well, the instructions aren't super clear. I don't know exactly how to do this, but I'm here, right? Of course, his instructions were marry, marry, and don't leave, and all. Like, that's a thing. But they had to go and live their lives too. And so Joseph was committed to figuring that out. When Jesus grew up and had started teaching, he spoke no differently about that radical, self-giving love as one of the most important ways we have to show that we follow him. So in light of our sermon series name, the theme for our Advent this year, Jesus is love, right? It's not more complicated than that. When I ask what changed when Jesus came, What changed when Jesus arrived? What changed when he showed up on the scene? Joseph was affirmed in the righteousness that he was already committed to. 
I know I'm just another guy preaching about Joseph right now, so like, look past that with me, right? Mary did a lot more work uh, to bring Jesus into the world. And I don't just mean to make a, like a birth joke. Like seriously, we affirm both the work of Joseph and Mary, right? But Joseph had that righteousness in him. He obeyed God and chose to stay. So the intensity of, and the object of who we love, right, through Jesus' teachings, whether that's our neighbor or our enemy or the stranger, um, that's our default mode of being, right? The people in this church with you. So I'll light our Advent candle today uh, as I talk about the, the change that Jesus brought when he got here was affirming the righteousness that Joseph already had. Dramatic pause. (laughs) You know what? We'll try one more time. Hey, there it is. Yeah, so in Mary, Joseph and Mary's world, they likely faced judgment and criticism for what appeared to be a child out of wedlock. They kept their heads down and did the work of love to create a family that could raise the Son of God. In Jesus' world, the Jewish leaders hated him enough that they would conspire to have him killed. He, of course, loved them enough to go to his death in that way. But before he went, he taught his disciples to love one another as their default mode of being. In that, in that uh, story in John 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. He predicts his betrayal. He institutes the Last Supper. And then Joseph leaves, right? Jesus says, what you're about to do, do quickly. There's a lot of mysterious intrigue, right? I can't wait till The Chosen does this. It's going to be so cool. Um, <laughs> the TV show, The Chosen. But um, the, there's, there's, so Joseph, uh, or uh, Judas leaves to go and get the people, Right? While the arresting crew, like the crew that will arrest him, while they're getting dressed, while they're grabbing their weapons, while they're getting their tools and they're putting on their official uniforms and all that, getting ready to... That's when Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That's when he gives the new command. Jesus chooses that time to give a teaching like this to his people. And when I noticed that in preparation, that was just the most like, amazing. Like, just, it just, it's so clever. I just love how the story of God plays out. So I just, as we close, I just want to ask you, in what ways do you have that foretaste of love of Jesus in your life? Right? I know Jesus is here. He's been here. We talk to him. We love you, Jesus, right? And in what ways do you live in the old realm and not in the new realm all the time, right? Like I was saying, the light, small example is when I get cut off on that part of the road or when my daughter does not know how to listen and we've told her 30 times and it's just the 31st time is like, all right, let's, let's change this you know, pattern of behavior, whatever. But <laughs> in what ways are you living in that old realm where you are either using your own effort or actually not committed to love and faithfulness? While you look again at all the ways that you can choose to be in the world, where does that pervading love of Jesus rank in your life? 
And maybe like Joseph, you have some privileges to leverage for those around you. Uh, I know I do. But while we look again at the story of love, at the story of Jesus, consider what it is, consider what it would mean to commit yourself to love and faithfulness and to write them on your heart. Pray with me. Lord, we want to be like you. We want to see your will done in the world. We want to sort out what it is, how to help, what's going on. Whatever ways you have for us to love one another, Lord, would you uh, make them clear to us? Would you give us either special instructions or uh, the, gui- the guidance of your spirit, Lord, we need for everything we do. But would you give us guidance from your spirit towards loving those in our community, towards loving the people either in the seats next to us or in the houses next to us or next to us at work or any of the other places where we could run into neighbors, Lord. Thank you for your story, for how it plays out, for the shape of it. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.